As we prepare to hear God's word, let's first pause and ask God to open us to hear what God might be saying. Lord our God, we come in here from different places, different weeks, experiences, some tired, some excited, full of energy, some worn out by this season already and it's halfway over, some feeling like it has just begun. But wherever we come in here, Lord, um, you know us, and I pray that you provide in this moment whatever we have need of to create in us a stillness and a quiet so that we can listen and understand what you might be saying to us and hearing what you have to say. Take it in and, and cherish it deep within and put it into action in our lives so that your kingdom might come more fully here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. This morning's reading is from Isaiah 35. Let us hear the joyful word of the Lord. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear, here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning we are focusing on the word joy as we've heard it a number of times already in this service. And as I was thinking about the word joy, I can remember a moment during seminary when my mom asked me, so, are you, are you happy with the route that you've chosen in seminary? 
And I just remember, rather than answering the question, I got lost in this thought of like, what's the difference between happiness and joy? Like these words that we might just interchange so easily. But, which we'll find out today, um, some words have a deeper meaning than we might have known, at least I have known until this week. Um, and I, I, I think it's important because there are days um, in which I can go from feeling great and quite wonderful and happy to feeling quite crappy with just one text and one call and in one instant. <laughs> you, ever, you know what I'm talking about? The word happy actually uh, comes from this root word. It's, it is root, hap, uh, which, which means, in Old English, chance or fortune or luck, which is also how we get the word happenstance. I didn't know those two words were actually connected until this past week, but it was a fun little thing, and I'll give you an example of, of how they're related. So one, one year from a birthday, my grandma um, gave me a lotto ticket, which I was happy to receive because it was happenstance that it was a winner. It was a great thing. It was one, like fortune had come upon me. However, my happiness ran out, and my happiness was given to my family when I recognized, and they realized that it was a fake lotto ticket. Happiness. It's based on chance or circumstance or feelings around us that can change in an instant. But joy is something different. Joy is deeper. It's not based on chance, but the careful workings of a God who loves you, who is for you, who has wonderful gifts in store for you to know and you to plumb the depths of throughout life whether the circumstances of life are in your favor or not. And today, when we use the word joy, it might be a synonym for happiness, but in the story of our faith, it means so much more. One of the fascinating things that I learned this past week, and one of the reasons, I have to just let you in, one of the reasons why I've been doing these like word study things is one, because of the Bible Project, which does, uh, is a great not-for-profit that tries to illustrate the Bible and teach people about the Bible. But I also, in seminary, decided to like spend like $100 in a set of the New Testament theological dictionary, which has every Greek word ever existed in it, uh, which is a wonderful resource, but you can get lost in it for quite a long time, if that's your thing. So. What I found this week is that the word for joy, which is kara, uh, was a really cool word because kara, or joy, shares the same root letters as grace. Grace, charis, which means unmerited, unearned favor or blessing. So the root of, of joy is related to grace. God's unmerited favor for you and for me. And it makes sense to me uh, because the two things as I've kind of looked at, at joy, two, two things I came across as the word means as it comes up in scripture, it's first an awareness of God's favor and grace, so a, a person's awareness of that. And then secondly, it, it describes a way in which somebody might be merry or rejoicing or some expression so joy is both the comprehension of God's, an experience of God's favor, but is an outward expression 
that we generate. And as I took a look at this word and realized what it meant, there were a couple of scripture passages that came to mind. The first one was a moment in Jesus' ministry right before he is betrayed by his friend for 30 pieces of silver. And he's trying to tell his friends, his disciples, what's going to happen next and the troubles that are going to befall them and the ways in which they're going to be scattered and the hardships they will face. And he says this, in this world, in this life, you will face trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. You will face trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He's offering this word of hope, this gift of hope to his disciples right before something bad's gonna happen so that they can be steady regardless of the circumstances that come. That's the first passage. The second passage is a moment in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Now, he's, Paul is in jail at this moment, He's in prison, this mucky, terrible prison in Rome. And he's writing to these friends in Philippi, which is modern-day Turkey. And he's writing to them because they're trying to spread the gospel. They're trying to teach people about Jesus, but they're facing pushback and harm and persecution for this. And so he pens this letter, which is called the Epistle of Joy. And at one point, he says this in the fourth chapter, Rejoice. Again, I will say it, rejoice. It's a command worth repeating twice. And a command, I say, because and it's interesting because a lot of commands in Scripture are typically, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. But this one is a positive command. Right? Rejoice, rejoice, people. It's a positive one to be joyful. And so, as I look at these things, I, I take um, some learnings from these two passages mainly three. First, from Jesus' passage, that Jesus is able to look at and name the really, really real realities of our lives, the parts of brokenness and the places where we face trouble. And I think Jesus' strength and the gifts of hope and joy that he offers allows us to stare at them as well rather than run away or turn away. And that's my second point with it. He offers hope for our hearts to hold on to. Hope that produces the gift of joy. And thirdly, as I look at Paul's passage, that joy is not just a gift from God, but it's a choice to make, to choose to allow those gifts to shape our life and our expression. I want to explore those three things, um, the troubles, the gift of hope, and also the command to be joyful throughout our time, but I want to bring this down and maybe personalize it with a story of a good saint named Henry Nouwen, or um, he's French, so his first name would be Henri, typically. So Henry Nouwen, some, some of you might have heard of him. He is, or was, 
he's passed on now, was a Dutch Catholic priest, a professor, a writer, a theologian. Notably, he served at, at prestigious universities like Yale, Hale, and Yarvard. <laughs> I don't know those places. Oh, boy. But I hear they're prestigious. <laughs> anyway. Um, Amidst the academic rigor and all the striving to be renowned in his field of, of teaching theology at these universities, he, he fell into a bit of trouble, into a dark place, into, into depression. And about his experience, he wrote this. After 25 years of being a priest, I found myself praying poorly, living somewhat isolated from other people and very much preoccupied with burning issues. This is somebody at Harvard who's kind of reached the epitome of what we think success is. And he says this, I woke up one day with the realization that I was living in a dark place and that the term burnout was just a convenient psychological translation for spiritual death. I bring up Henry Nouwen's situation, his story, because I think that it can describe our experience at times, the burnout, the feeling of exhaustion, of being lost, and feeling like we've experienced some spiritual death. But something happened to Henry Nouwen. This providential stroke that hit his life, he ran into this guy named Jean Vignier, who was the founder of what's called the L'Arche Community, Community, which is an international groupings of communities of people with and without intellectual disabilities who are living and working and praying and sharing life together. And this model of life together was the model upon which my seminary experience at, at Western Seminary was built, where I lived in, a, in sem, an apartment complex with different apartments that had seminarians living in cohort with people with um, disabilities. During Henry Nouwen's time at the Lark community, he recovered from his brokenness and from his darkness and his depression. And he began to experience some really deep fulfillment as a priest, as a friend, as an author, as a lecturer, as a human. Perhaps this happened for the same reasons I found a lot of life at the Friendship House during seminary. Henry came face to face with the brokenness of people. Like a friend named Adam, who, because of his disability, could not hide his struggles or his challenges and his brokenness as well as Henry could. We all have brokenness. We all have struggles. We all have challenges. But through that real human friendship, Henry was able to face his own brokenness and find healing and hope. He writes this. I've been increasingly aware that true healing mostly takes place through the sharing of weakness. In the sharing of my weakness with others, the real depths of my human brokenness and my weakness and my sinfulness start to reveal itself to me. Not as a source of despair, but as a source of hope. 
In the face of his brokenness, Nahuan found hope. And it's a theme that's littered all throughout the story of Scripture. That passage which we heard Trevor read this morning is a passage from the moment in the life of the people of Israel where they are just scattered all over the earth, away from Jerusalem, away from home, longing to be back in their own beds again. And if you've ever been on vacation for way too long for, or at the hospital for extended stay and long to be home, you know the feeling. They were longing to be home. And Isaiah painted this picture of hope in God when God would come to restore something for them. And it would bring much joy. Isaiah is painting this picture of hope amidst despair. Or take the story of Mary's life. Mary, this, this servant girl, this, this woman whose life was anything but rosy like our candle this morning. She, like her ancestors, were facing some really dark stuff and some broken times, oppressed and kicked down were her people by the Romans. And the leaders of her people weren't much help. She was hoping and longing for something more. And amidst that despair and that distress, an angel shows up singing, Rejoice, Mary. Rejoice, favored one. I bring you good news of great joy. particularly for Jesus in his story, who on that night when he was sold out by a friend for 30 pieces of silver, a night on which he'd be beaten and condemned and ultimately shown the road to his own death, did not despair, but offered a hopeful word. In this world you will face trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. The brokenness and the troubles of the world would break him and kill him, broke him and killed him so that he could piece the fragmented parts of ourselves back together spiritually and materially in the ways that we and our world need it. Henry Nouwen said that in our brokenness we find hope. And we have hope because Jesus knows our brokenness. And this Christmas story is one that we celebrate because it's God who wraps himself in flesh to become what we are to know our ups and downs and the circumstances that we face. To share our fears, our exhaustion, our worries, our fragility, our knowing of the darkness, the brokenness, and the really real parts of the world that sometimes are so hard to face. And the gift that he gave, the message of, that we are able to take to heart as he said, is the message that we speak over our children and all who are baptized when they come. And I choke up and I tear up every time because they are the promises spoken to each one of us, entrusted to us, if we might trust in them. I typically take the child in my hands and I say, for you, little one, God was wrapped in flesh. For you, God lived a life of coldness and completeness. All God did for you because God loves you. Because God wants you to know that you are a beloved son and a beloved daughter and God delights in you. That God, even though you have failed, even though you've fallen short, 
will still provide you the foundation of forgiveness to help move you beyond the current reality which you think you can't escape from. God promises a Holy Spirit to to transform us in all that we are, in all that you are, and even this world, to look more and more like him over our life. And finally, God promises us a resurrection like his so that we might always share life with God. But more than that, if the picture of Isaiah means anything to us, and we see it in Revelation, it means that all of creation will be renewed by God because God loves all of creation. Jesus offers us all of these good gifts to take to heart, as Jesus said. When we're facing despair and darkness, And if we really sit and contemplate these hopeful promises and these good gifts, how can we not be moved by joy? And if we're maybe a little skeptical about God in this story, at least we long and desire for these things to be true, and maybe our heart skips a beat. To put this all together, Henry Nouwen said this, joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, distress, oppression, war, or even death, nothing can take God's love away from you. That is something that never changes. Joy is the experience, that inward knowing of God's unconditional favor for you. That is the deep knowing, the internal thing that we are take to heart. But Paul, as we're saying, leads us in that second part of what joy is to the outward expression. Paul, who's, who's in this prison, this horrible prison, is writing to his friends, and he writes this in the, in the epistle of joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He continues on. Don't worry about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds. And whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure and pleasing and commendable, Think about these things. I want to just briefly touch on these things because they help inform us how we express this joy in the world. Joy is a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. And I I began thinking about this, and maybe you can think about it too. Am I a joyful person? Do I come across joyful to people? Do you come across joyful? Would people say that's a mark of who you are? Because if we say our life is claimed by this God, how can we be anything but show joy through our life? Yes, struggles come, but we are supposed to be a joyful expression for all the goodness that God has done. Nouwen writes this. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it. It's a choice based on the knowledge that we belong to God and have found in God our refuge and our safety and that nothing can take that away. Beyond that, two people can be part of the same event. 
but one might choose to live it out quite differently than the other. One might choose to trust that what happened, as painful as it may be, holds a promise. And the other may choose to spare and be absolutely destroyed by it. Joy is a choice, a choice to allow God's goodness to define us in our lives. Secondly, Paul moves on from there and he addresses the problems, being able to stare at the things that go wrong. Because we need to be able to do that. Because being a Christian and following Jesus isn't just about being an ostrich where we stick our heads into the ground and allow the world to just pass us by. It's not about the way I grew up in, in learning Midwestern or Southern niceness. No. Healing takes place, and we go to find joy when we first share our weakness with others. As Paul said, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts. We're not called to ignore the tough realities. We're called in the faithful posture of lament, A posture which Jewish people knew about when they sang in a lonely, distant place in Psalm 37. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and we wept. And we hung our harps on the willow trees. Our captors asked for songs to sing of Zion, and they jeered, but how could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Being a follower of Jesus doesn't make everything okay, but it provides us the knowledge that when we pray, there is one who in heaven who knows our weakness and hears it. And secondly, that sharing our laments and our troubles with good, trusted friends who can provide wisdom in those conversations, I think God can provide some semblance of wisdom and healing and direction for us. And that, when we do those things, we experience the peace of God who guards our hearts and minds. Lastly, joy is about making choices to set ourselves up for succeeding in being a joyful people. Paul says, whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and pleasing and commendable, if there's anything excellent in these things, think about them. Joy is a choice and how we seek to fill our lives and our hearts and our minds. How we surround ourselves with positive people and good influences, and we nourish our hearts and our minds with good things. Think about, if I were to run a race, maybe take on a marathon, and the day before, I ate at least seven Snickers because I watched a bunch of commercials, and I gained from that that I would do well in a race (laughs) because it takes the edge off. Would I do very well? No, I wouldn't. And the people that I listen to on TV are idiots, and the fact that I did this, I'm an idiot as well. I mean, the point I'm getting at, and the last point I want to make, is the fact that we need, I want you, Linwood, to surround yourself with good people who can be an encouraging, joyful, good presence that can nourish you and fill your life, whatever that means, reading good books, watching good, wholesome television. I don't know what that means. Maybe shutting off cable news. 
filling your hearts and minds with good things. And watch what that can produce in your life. Let's pray. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be upon each person here. I pray that it fills each person with a sense of your peace and your hope that you give only through your son, Jesus, a peace and a hope that surpasses our understanding, but produces great joy. And I pray that when these people go out into this week that they are noticed by people around them. And it causes others to ask, what is different? So be with each person here as they go through this week. Love them and care for them. In Jesus' name, amen.